Um. Okay, Heber, we are starting the third chapter, Patek Shlishi. And thank you. So once established that betachin is a feeling of calm. And therefore, it's so easy to know whether we have betachin or not. Are you calm or are you not? It's good. Sometimes. Sometimes we don't know what we're feeling. We should ask the people around us what we're feeling. They know. <laughs> I'm not angry. Okay. Shkoya. Um, <clears throat> how to get there. And how to get there, not because we're relying on self <clears throat> or relying on another, but we are calm because we really are relying on, depending on, or let's stick to the right word, we have bitachin in Hashem. How do we get there? That's everyone's question. And without doubt, the most important step will be by learning about it. And ideally learning about bitachin, and the Rebbe therefore suggested to many people who the Rebbe knew will have their lives bettered, even Shalai Lushma, if they would be able to tap into our own bitachin, the Rebbe told them, what should you do? Learn Shara Bitachin. Which is great. And Hasidus explains how this works. Because we all have the power of belief, which is not Bitachim. But we believe in God and we believe that everything is really coming from God and we believe that God is good and we believe that all is for the good. And then reality many times does not look like that which we believe in. So we have to deal with how do I juxtapose or how do I reconcile that which the world looks like versus with that which I believe in. And the way we do it is by understanding, by thinking, by discussing, by using our Chabad. And the more we understand something, sooner or later, that which we understand in our minds will trickle down and will affect the way we think, the way we feel. Thinking affects the way we feel. One of the great Hasidic examples for this, of just as an illustration with a story, about how you understand reality, how you perceive reality, will really affect the way you feel about the reality. That's called moyach shalat alalev, mind over heart. Not mind over heart, like I'll be a tough person, mind over heart. Mind, the way you perceive reality, accordingly you'll react towards it. So the mashal is that there was a person traveling and they were, they were next to a father with children that were going away, that were going wild. Now, many people here that Baruch Hashem have many children, we're just fine with that because we want to be left alone when we travel with our children. But let's make believe for a second you forgot about that phase. Or a person who was not yet married, who don't know, who never experienced that phase, and you're sitting next to the traveler with Kanainahar 12 kids. And the father was not making an effort. Not even making an effort, and the kids were all over the place. So the passenger started to feel upset. It's a feeling. And sooner or later, that person externalized the feelings by speaking to the dad very angrily. You know, you dead be dead, etc. And the father, just, just an analogy, the father tells the passenger, listen, my wife, their mother passed away. We're going to, their, to the funeral. I, I know, I'm, I, I'm lost. They're lost. I have no, I, I, I'm unable to help. I apologize. In one second, in one second, the feelings of anger will dissipate. What changed? 
the perception of reality. That's a great analogy of when we understand things differently, we will feel about them differently. It's a great example because we all, if we were to put ourselves in that position, we would change right away. It would go from a feeling of anger to a feeling of Rachmanus, unless we're not human. And we can understand that a person in certain circumstances are unable, they're unable, they're able to walk and to breathe, that's already a big thing. So thinking, the more we understand about Hashem, I know God is not tangible, which is why just learning about it once will never be enough, and it's good to learn and to learn and to keep on learning. But every time Yidin get together and you learn Shana Bitochen, without doubt, everyone here is going to have a little bit more Bitochen. And then it can wear off. That's fine. We're human. So then invite her to learn again. And when a person continuously learns, that's the way that we're going to get more Bitochen. That's a very general statement. The beauty about Rabbeinu Bachaya is that to use a modern word, he gives us guided meditations. And that, that is exactly what I want to speak about in today's class. Because when people begin re- learning the third chapter, which is we're going to start learning the third chapter, they think it looks like, if they learn it very superficially, that he's just repeating everything we learned last week, which is not the end of the world. We learned last week uh, relatively quickly, Not doesn't hurt to review. What we're learning now is so far from a review. Well, let me tell you what he begins. Last week, we learned the second chapter in which Rabbeinu Bachaya was speaking about seven characteristics, seven character traits, that if you have them, you become a more trustworthy person. And if you have one, that's better than none. But he went through like steps. If you have one, and you have two, and you have three, and then you're very trustworthy. And people will actually begin to trust you more when they understand that you have these qualities. We also made a point by saying that when you start reading the seven steps, it becomes clear that no human being fully possesses these seven, which is what he's leading into by saying that since the only being that has all of the seven is Hashem, makes sense. Like I'm speaking about the mind, not the heart. It makes sense to read it, to have bitachin in Hashem. Third chapter begins by saying that there are five Hagdamas. A Hagdama means a prerequisite. There are five prerequisites that are needed to feel that feeling of calm because God has me. The first of the five is a review of last week. It's not complicated. Don't worry, we're not going to learn everything in one day. Some people get nervous when they hear numbers. But bear with me. So there were seven Midas that enable you to be even more trustworthy. Only God possesses all of them. Chapter 3 begins, whoever is using the Sefer, whoever is using the Kahas, white Sefer, we're going to page 58. And he writes that, Ach ha-hagdomis, the, the intros or the prerequisites, or he's writing in English the concepts, say that. And really there are five concepts, there are five factors, or five prerequisites. The more that a person will properly understand that God possesses them, the more we understand the following five steps, the more we're going to have bitach. The first of the five is the seven. But let me tell you what he does. He changes the order. He changes the order of the seven, and I think that's the secret of this week. Ordering things is of extreme significance. Always. Always. When you want to communicate something. What do you say first? What do you say second? 
if the goal is just for you to get it off your chest and say it any way it works for you. Many people are that way. But if the person has as a goal, they want to say something for the other to listen, then you have to know how to order things. You can end up saying all of the same points. But the way you will be masadid, it will really change the outcome, whether that person will listen or whether you're going to shut the person down. Whatever, the sandwich rule. Very good. But I might even, I'm not going to speak about the sandwich. Just that concept of Seder. And everything else in life, there are so many things in our lives that the question is not about maybe I need another ingredient or maybe I have too much. Let me get rid of an ingredient. Sometimes that's also the case. But there are many areas in life that we really better our circumstance. We do our part a lot better if we simply do all of what we're doing in a different Seder. Even think about your day. You know, when we, when, when we are told, ideally, ideally, you wake up in the morning, daven in the morning, ideally. You can daven later. But for most people, if you wake up, if the house is still quiet, there's many ifs here, I know. But if it's quiet, and you know that in a half an hour, it won't be quiet. This is your me time. So it's still, so you can center yourself. And you do what you need to do. And you can have a two-minute davening that's so powerful and so meaningful and you can do a 20-minute davening at 10.30, and it's a lot harder. You're doing the same thing at a different time in a different order. So we're going to speak about Seder. So let me go over the order of Rabbeinu Bahaya's last week seven. Don't forget, last week was the focus on others or on you. I want to be a more trustworthy person. If it's about a person trusting a person, then last week's order is the correct order. But the moment where projecting it to Hashem, we have to change the Seder. So Pashat, learning this will make a big difference. Because if I'm going to think about Hashem, how Hashem has the seven qualities, but if I'm going to use last week's chapter for God, I'm out of whack. I'm out of Seder. I will not have the same effect on me. Now, why that's so, I don't fully know. I know like you know. Let's break our heads together. Why? But that's even in the first of the five, which is going over the seven qualities, he changes the order. So let me repeat by heart the order that we learned last week. And then we're going to read inside this part of chapter three, the same seven, the Seder Acheret. The first thing last week was that if I want to be a more trustworthy person, or if I'm analyzing, if I'm thinking in my mind, should I trust you? Are you trustworthy? The first quality is whether you're Rachman, Chemlan, whether you are a compassionate, a person with empathy, a person with love. That will be the first thing. The second thing we said last week is that you will make time for me. We all know that to be true. And that's not a critique to people that don't have time. Many people, Taka, have very little time and they have to prioritize. And that's a good thing for you in your own life. Don't think you always have to be available for everyone. That's not healthy. It's not fair for the people that, that should take a greater priority. But even if I know that Reuven is very, uh, has a lot of empathy, but I won't rely or have betachen in Reuven if I know that Reuven won't always be available to me. That was number two. Number three last week is that even if Reuven will be available for me and on, in, in the world of feeling, he has, he has the right feeling. He, he's a Rahman and he has compassion and he loves me and he, he has empathy, he feels me. And he'll make time for me, but who says he'll be able to actually help me? Not that every time someone talks to you, you need to help them. Many times you just need to listen to them. I know that. But sometimes people talk and need help. 
and not everyone is able to help. He used the word strong. Uh, but you know, the fridge fell on my foot. So I'm calling out to someone. First of all, I hope they make time. And then they, they have the koyach to pick it up. Because if they can't pick it up, they can have all of the empathy and they can be standing there. But I called the wrong person. You have to be chazak. Number four, we're going up. Yes? So number three is somebody who like, is on the same wavelength as you? Number what, three is someone... How concise it? You know? Number three, see, there's so many different um, areas in life for which I need to have bitachin and you for, so you can't put a label on it. If it's in the area of what I gave, of physical help, some people need physical help. So they have to, they can only rely on those who can physically help them. A person who's bed-bound, who needs to have a nurse, the nurse has to have the ability to lift them up. Depends what the bitachin is for. You understand as fish, Or, you know, if a person needs more emotional support, most cases they don't need you to help they just need you to listen like every case is a case but if help is needed whatever that help is I'm only going to reach out and put my bitachin in the one who's, who has the, the ability physical the emotional the mental many people are very kind people but there are certain puzzles in life that you need a chacham you all know that you need to have someone who's wise to figure that out or some problems are solved with money there was a wealthy guy in Brazil that always used to say that any problem that can be solved with money is not a problem. He was a billionaire. <laughs> so for him, it was like not a problem. But for some people, yeah, just because it's solvable with money, but if you don't have it and you need it, you got a problem. That's the life, that that's the world the way it is right now. Number four, now number four becomes harder and harder in the order, bin Adam Lachavera, bin Adam Adam, is that the person in whom you're placing your trust, you're asking that person, help me with A. What happens if they know that A is not good for me? They know that for me, really, B is good. What should they do? They should do B. They just want to look nice in, in my eyes. That's not the goal. The goal is to help me. If I need help, even though I think that my help is coming from the right pocket, but my help is coming from the left pocket, then I, I'm going to even trust a person more if I know that they know what's really good for me. And it's not because you're not smart or I'm not smart. It's because it's very difficult a person for themselves to know what's good for them. Because I'm in the problem. I'm in the challenge part. You reach out to another. First of all, the other person can be smarter than me. But even if they're not objectively smarter, they are definitely smarter because they're not subjected to all of my inner cheshboyness <coughs> that I'm not even aware of. So that's why you, cons- you consult a, a fellow. But that person, the, the more they know what's really good for you, the more it makes sense to have bitachin in them. That was number four. Number five is that bitachin builds over time, like, like we explained. That means that if I trust, if I placed my bitachin in you last week and you came through me, then it's going to be a lot easier for me to do it again because it worked. And how much more so if I placed my bitachin in you last week and last month and last year, and ultimately the way he words it, that if someone was there for you since when you were conceived and while you were born, and through your infancy and young childhood and adulthood, you're going to have, it accumulates. You're going to have more and more bitachin in them because they were always there for you. Then that was number five. Number six, again, this has to be worded properly. That's why we're going to stick to the word bitachin, is that if I'm in a pickle and there are two powers that can help me, even though I'm choosing one over the other, the level of my bitachin will not be as much as if there's only one source for my help. 
Let me give a mashal that I didn't give last week. The mashal is, is that Adam and Chava. Adam and Chava and Gan Eden, right, they knew there's no one else. When they went on a Shidduch, they, there was no doubt. They were Batuach. Why were they Batuach? Because there was no one else. That's the bracha we make under the chuppah. May God bless you. May you have the joy that they had in Gan Eden. They had joy because they had Bitochen. Don't use trust, don't use dependent bitachin. They bitachin means also there was certain. Doesn't mean it was a good shidduch. It was a hard shidduch. For 130 years they were separated. Hundred and now 130 years, even though they lived almost a thousand, that's ten percent of the married life. They left separately. So that doesn't mean that they, they, they had an easy marriage, but there was no one else. So they knew there was bitachin. So God is really ultimately it's all God. And that's a big part of our theology. We'll speak about that later. This concept that everything is from Hashem. We'll even begin speaking about this today. So, so for good or for bad, as we say, there's no one else. And the final and the seventh was that the person in whom I'm choosing to place my betachen in has to have within them, within him or her, the capacity to do good for me even if I am unworthy. Because many people, or most people, suffer with a low self-esteem. I shared once, which is a mamash amazing, the most watched commercial ever made. An amazing commercial from Dove. It's very, it's very, it's, it, you watch it, you cry. They gathered a bunch of women, and they had people that are able to draw how you look based on your own description of yourself. And when there's a crime, so you describe how the Ganif looked, so they gathered people to describe how they look to the artist who could not see them. Many people. And they all drew a picture. And then they are filming how that person, they're experts, they showed the principal their own picture. Every single picture looked a lot worse of the way they really looked in real life. Every single one. Everyone has a bad self-image. And that's a tragedy. And that's that's not just uh, physically. That's in all levels. That's a tragedy. You know, according to Hasidus, that Yetzir Hara is worse than any other Yetzir Hara. Not uh, Yetzir Hara, Taiva, you know, Avoid Zara. Okay, that's terrible. The worst is that people don't value themselves. And because of that, almost every decision that we make in life is tainted with that erroneous, fake, low self-esteem. So think about, so first of all, that's a fact. That's the way we are. We have to work many years to get over that. Before we got over that, a person can want to put their betachen in their fellow who who deserves it because they have all of the qualities. But the person is going to say to myself, I know that they're compassionate and they have empathy and they're strong and they know what's good for me. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of their kindness. You won't have full bitachin in them. It's, it's, it's the tragedy of life because I don't feel that I'm worthy. And, and the way Rabbeinu Bachaye is dealing with this in this context is not by telling a person another truth that you are worthy. But that's not his message here. Your message here is that there are people that give even to the unworthy. You're unworthy? Okay, fine, you're unworthy. You can still count on the other because they are compassionate people. And no one greater than God. And no one greater than God. 
and we spoke last week, it's not a stira to another principle in faith that there is reward and punishment. It doesn't contradict that. There's reward and punishment, but at the same time, God is kind also to the unworthy. I should not take advantage of that. That's not that's not respectful. God is going to be nice to me anyway. You know, there's a there's a yid called Tuvia Bolton. He's a great Chabad rabbi. He's a Balchuva. He always shares the story. He shares that when he in, the, in 1982, when the set, when the first Lebanese war broke out, it's a very powerful story. So Chabad already had the permits with the Israeli government to be able to go out and put filling on the soldiers. He was then probably 16 years old. He's a young bacher. Tuvia Bolton. Yes, he is. He's a he's an amazing role model of a person of Balchuba like none other from my generation. And he went, uh, yeshiva boy, he went to the border, he went into Lebanon. He says he got there, it was the Aloisa, it was the, the, the crack of dawn. That means now you can put on tefillin. He says there was a row of soldiers, two in every jeep. Two, the jeeps were on, they were armed to their teeth. Now these are soldiers that are they're already in enemy territory. That means they're going into Beirut, they're going in, they're putting their lives at risk. So it's very tense. You know, once you are in it, you feel even less tense. The worst, the worst is prior. So you're ready to go, you're waiting for the order. And they were given permission to hop villains until the order is given. And like everything else in life, you know, one person influences the other. If you're lucky, you get the guys in the first jeep to put it on and then you're good to go. Because the guys in the first, the first guys, they're focused on battle. They didn't want to hear them. Worst, the second jeep, the guy that's in the in the second jeep begins to have, he had a lot of issues against the religious people, that the religious people don't go to the army, and we're parasites, and we're this and we're that. And all of his tightness against the Haredim, he let out on Tovia Bolton. And, he, and it felt very uncomfortable. You're there trying to put on fill-in, and this guy is giving him a whole speech, speaking down to all of the religious people. And he's angry. He says he didn't know what to do with himself. Who saved him? The third jeep. A guy was rolling up his sleeve and he says, Rabbi, if I will put on tefillin, will God protect me? Will I live? They're going into battle. So uh, this is a 16-year-old yeshiva bacher, but he had a good chinuch. He says, God is going to save you whether you put on tefillin or not. Because God loves us the way a parent loves a child, unconditionally. So we should reciprocate by doing things for God, unconditionally. Nice. He, uh, he put on tefillin. When he finished tefillin, the guy that was giving him the whole speech about the charedim <laughs> rolled up his sleeve and he says, I also want to put on tefillin. First he put on tefillin. Then afterwards he asked him, what changed? He says, I never heard the words that you said. He says, for me to do something to get rewarded, I, I don't identify with that. But the moment you told me that you believe that the God that we believe in loves us no matter what we do. So therefore, we should do things to God, whether it makes sense, whether it doesn't make sense, whether we will get rewarded. Says that's something that touched me. I, I'm in. Nice. That's them when that 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 you you trust people who love you even if you're not worthy. That was the order of last week, and it's it's self understood that no human being fully possesses all of these seven. So therefore, it only makes the most sense to put your trust in in Hashem. Now he's going through what he calls the five intros. The first intro is to spend time. To spend time thinking how God is the greatest in every one of these seven. That's all in the first. So it's good to read it because if you're just trying to acquire information, we know the info. We just went through the seven. But he wants, it's like the chewing it over and speaking it out. 
And here, but look at what he's doing now. He's going a whole new seder. Achas mehen. Now the first one that we had in the second chapter is the same first one in the third chapter. And the first one is sheyamin. A person believes. Is butted, and the person makes clear in one's mind. There is believing and there's understanding. We need both. We believe and we make an effort to better understand. His kapsus hashivenyanim be'elokim that these seven qualities are gathered only in God, and therefore asher be'his kapsum be'misha be'itchem boi yitachan leftoya alach. Since God possesses all of the seven, then it uh, it makes it's just natural to trust God. And the Rabbeinu Bachai at the end of the second chapter that we didn't read last week went through different verses in scripture. From a Pasuk you see that God is speaking about himself, identifying himself with each one of the seven qualities. But now he's reviewing them. Number one, this is the first one we had in chapter two, is that that God, he calls God the creator, the Creator, may he be blessed. He has the capacity to have mercy on everyone whom he created more than any other human being. And what does the Holy Baal Shem Tov say? What a great analogy. He says that the love that God has for a Jew is more than the love of a couple who were married for many years without being blessed with children. And in their old age, miraculously, they had a single child. That love that we can identify, that that parent has to the child, that's the way Hashem loves every single Yid. Only God has that capacity. Then he writes another point, which is Gvaldic. There are people that have compassion. You can be a compassionate person. Rabbeinu Bahaya says that when a human being has, feels compassion for another, that's divine compassion. Let me flip it from another direction. If you are the recipient of someone's compassion, I'm asking you, who is having compassion on you? You would say that person. And it's nothing wrong with saying that. But we should deeply understand who gave that person compassion. Like many people in shul, they go and they take a doggy bag for someone else. So, so who's providing the food? <laughs> you guys. I'm saying the people who go bought the food in the shul. No, we should understand that all of the great qualities that we have, I'm not saying this in a bad way, we should value it. We're blessed to be the recipients of the gift but even after God gave within you the capacity to have compassion, it's God's compassion. He just shared his compassion with you. So when you express it to someone else, or if someone is receiving your compassion, if someone helps you, you do two things. You thank God, you can thank that person. We're not taking away the other person. They had freedom of choice. They didn't have to exercise their compassion. It's not disrespectful, but it's also God's doing. And that's the way to look at life. It means everything that's coming to me is really coming to me from God. We're just a conduit. We're just a conduit. And I know that it works both ways. We have to be fair. That means that if something not good happens from my perspective, not good, it came from God. But that it's ultimately good. That it's ultimately good. Gamze. It's still love. It's still with love. It's ultimately for good. Listen, these are words that I can say it because I was I never suffered. 
So I have to be careful so I can say to people that never suffered. Baruch Hashem. But these are words that trigger what I just said right now. There are triggers. I said, you know, Shul, you had this big Shabbaton. You had this, you had this yeshiva boy that was molested. I was getting up there. There was like 150 people there. I was just hearing a Baal Shem Tov story. It was a very difficult moment for me. I was saying nothing that you never heard. Basically, that God is running the world, which is what we believe in. And he said, it can't be. He told me that, no, it can't be. If God is running the world, how? why didn't God stop the guy from molesting him? And he said in public that he suffered. He suffered. He went on drugs. He suffered. He says his suffering stopped when he says, when I finally gave up that belief. So I'm not on pain. God is not controlling the world. That person did it to me. That I can live with. That God was involved in that, I can't live with that. What he said makes sense. I, I know. Hundred yeah, percent. You have to be very careful. I would not debate with him. Right. Right. Because he was not looking for a debate. So I'm just saying these are words, but we believe in now. Right. Now I can say it. You know, when Rabbi Shusterman's wife passed away, I don't know if you guys were here. I'm talking about Rabbi Gershon Shusterman, and this shocked the city here. How old was she? 36. With can I know her whole family, and inside the funeral home, we were yeshiva bachrim. Everyone made drushes. Rabbi Reichig of blessed memory, at Sadik, Rabbi Reichig's father, was quiet. When, we, when, when people walked out from the chapel to the parking lot and they were like, the whole LA was there and he saw, he saw the people, he made a statement. Whoever heard a statement will never forget it. He quoted the Basak in Tehillim that Yamim Yutsaru Veloi Echad Behem but in his unique way of pronouncing it. And he shouted it out. He had a very unique voice. That God gives to people exactly the time that they live. That's all what he said. He, he wanted, he was a tzaddik. You know, something, hearing it from him had a real effect because he was a tzaddik. And he had the ability and therefore the responsibility to say this when people are actually suffering. To get up there in the suffering, not to minimize the suffering, but to declare that this is God's doing. She was meant to live exactly that, not one second more. It wasn't uh, whatever they thought it was. It wasn't the doctor. It was, it was by God. But let's go on the positive. This is very depressing. And the positive, which means that every time you get something good, or even when you bestow goodness to be humble, how lucky are we that we get to be conduits? But what we are witnessing is God's compassion. You know, there's a book called Sefer Shira. Many people are into it. I think it's called Sefer Shira or something similar Eric, to that. Pedic Shira, Pedic Shira, thank you. Pedic Shira is a book that describes how every creature, what every creature is saying in the praise of God. Like what the Akbar like is saying and what the frog is saying and what the, what the trees and what the bird is saying. So when you're young, what you imagine is, is that the frog is actually saying that. It's much more than that. The Akbar is not saying the words of Tehillim that, that he's writing inside, just you don't know how to decipher his language. The, the existence of the frog is the greatest praise of God. Words, the more you appreciate, let's say, the beauty in nature, what are you witnessing? You're witnessing God's beauty. And look how kind God is. God's beauty is so great that we can't even realize it. So God puts some of his beauty in that which is tangible. Tangible I can see. Tangible I can hop. So now I can see a sunset. What is that? What are you you're looking at God's beauty? Well, everything in the world. Pedak Shira is understand the existence of the bird is the greatest praise to God. Not that the bird is praising God. 
his wings are praising God. His beak, is, his existence is a praise to God. Is a compliment to God. Because when you look at a beautiful painting, the painting is praising the painter. Not that the painting is talking. No, the Metzias, such a piece of art, is saying, wow, look at the talent of the painter. So when you look at the world, the world is shouting, wow. When you look at compassion, and when you see compassion, it moves you. You're not only seeing a human compassion, and that person should be acknowledged, but you're seeing God's compassion. So that's number one, to, to begin to realize that all of the compassion that I experience in my life is really God's compassion to me. Compassion and mercy. Compassion and empathy and love, etc. And you know what? Sometimes you don't have to go to rush through the chapter. Just spend time on that. Because if a person will spend a certain period of time, first of all, becoming more aware every time someone did a gesture that came from their compassion, which happens very often, and associate not taking away the yashikoyach to that person who had freedom of choice, but to link it to God. It's not one or the other. It's not a contradiction. You can be very thankful towards the other and and be thankful to God. It go, it's, a, it's a partnership. It's to try to experience more and more how many moments of compassion did God show me today. Whether it came through a person, whether it came through nature, whether it came through a safer, whether it came through anything. Compassion and empathy. So I'm beginning to experience, not know, not believe, to feel God's compassion. Because he's making a statement that the moment I experience God as being compassionate, naturally I'm going to have more betachen than God. Because God is compassionate. Number two. Number two is on top of page 60. And here we start going out of order. Here number two is what was before number four. And it has to be in this order for some reason. Number four is that God knows what's really good for me. And I really think he's addressing the obvious question that if I'm going to start linking my reality to God's doing, which is the emes, and everything that's happening to me is coming from God, so all of the moments in where I feel that someone is being compassionate to me, it means that God is also now being compassionate to me, which is emes. When you become mindful of that, don't do selective uh, thinking. Some people live in reality. They deal with reality very simply. Whatever they don't like, they ignore you know, see no evil, hear no evil. That's denying. That's living in denial. That's not the way to live. It's better than taking drugs. I'm saying if that's the only way you can cope. But living is embracing everything. Looking at it all. The nice and the ugly. So the problem is, how can I experience God to be a Rahman when there were many other moments in my day that things that I saw, that I heard, that were done to me or that I'm aware of is an experience of the opposite. It can look cruel. There's a lot of cruelty in the world. So how can you feel God is compassionate? It's being counterbalanced with the opposite. I think that's why this has to be number two. By a human being, I don't expect a human being to be only Rahman. God, we're saying God is absolutely Rahman, yeah? So now you have to go to number four. Number four is, is that God knows what's really good. And it's easy for me to say, and I'm saying this in, in a class. If you're dealing with a person that's undergoing suffering, you have to be very careful saying the following words. Even though they also believe in it, it's just very painful. That even the the challenges that we experience to be difficulties or painful, and they are painful, are things that people that are very painful. It was ultimately for the greater good. 
there was a greater good over here. We learn in Perkyabos that there's a time to be able to say that to somebody. Correct. I just said not to say it. I'm, right, I'm just right. I'm just trying to make sense of the fact that the Rabbeinu Bachaya is putting step number four here are step number two. Step number four is to know that the ways that benefit the person are not hidden from Hashem. The ways that benefit me. He's enough framing that everything that's happened to me is for my benefit. Now, if I'm going to reject that theologically, it's going to be a lot harder for me to find the benefit. Or in the reverse, people that have this foundation when they're children, prior to any challenges in life, I believe that it's from God and God is good, then many of such people, when they encounter what we will call the real challenges of life, they will make some amazing thing out of it. How many organizations were created out of a tragedy? Not to justify the tragedy. But it's coming from a person who's beginning with the Yusoid. There's got to be some good here. And if I don't see it, so let me make it. I'll turn this to the best of my ability into something good. And there are times in life that when we look many years later, when we look back, we can see how this was for our benefit. Everyone is where they are only because you went through every single thing that you went through until now. That's no doubt about it. If there would be one little thing that would go different, you would be a whole different you. No doubt. And God needs for you to be the way you are right now. So just for that. So you needed to undergo all of the steps for you to be where you are. Most people always associate time with the past. Whatever is happening now, kapara. Which could be true. But we are much more future-oriented people. In other words, yeah, there are things that are happening to me now because of a decision that I made yesterday. But don't ignore the tomorrow, even though I don't know it. There are many things that are happening to me right now because something needs to happen in a year from now. But for me to be ready or for me to do the right thing then, I must have this experience now. So it's not now rewarding the past or kapara-ing the past. No, it's preparing me for tomorrow. You have an obstacle course to get more kayak for tomorrow for you to be a better soldier. And that's what happens in life if it doesn't break us. We become stronger people. So that's why we have to spend time on this number two, which is that even when something, from my experience, is not rachamim, and God forbid it feels at first glance as worse, to spend time in, in, in elaborating in my mind at least that this must be for my good. And I think people that look for that, I'm not speaking about the terrible tragedies, in the common day-to-day difficulties, some people always find something good in everything. And they irritate everyone else. They're very even mamish. You have to be careful. Or the opposite. Or the or the well. And they irritate everybody because it's always a That's also irri- correct. Correct. <laughs> Irritating because most people have a hard time really accepting that everything was for their good. They believe in it, but they don't experience it. And when 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 you witness someone, either they inspire you to go up, or they they make you feel as little as you felt beforehand. Like when you stand in front of a giant, you feel even a bigger midget, so you're not comfortable. Correct. So have the seichel of sharing that, but some people, Taka, always see the good. They're very uplifting people. Okay. It doesn't contradict kvetching to God. You can kvetch to God. You can you can shout. The Rebbe gave a great example. When someone steps on your foot, you shout, ow. It's not a stira to believing that it's for your good. It's hurting. It hurts. You shout. 
Means don't deny reality. Pain is pain. But it, the more we learn how to believe that since everything is taken from Hashem and God is good and it's for my good, I think it's back. The more we're going to always, the balance of God being compassionate will always be stronger. And the moment you're living with a compassionate God, you'll have more betachen in God. Living with a judgmental God, and God is also judgmental, but that will make you uh, put your trust in Him. That's going to make you be in awe from Him. And we're not, lear- we're not learning about the midah of being in awe. That's another midah. There's a time for that. We're learning about the midah of betachen. Okay. Number three. I'm going to go through this. Number three is on page 61. Number three in the Rabbeinu Bachaya is the same number three we had before. That God is taka strong. And Mrs. Fishman strong in any in any area that I need God to be strong in. Because if God wants to help me, God is going to help me. God want, if, if God decided... God wants to help me. God, God always wants to help me. What I mean to say is that if God wants to help me the way I think God wants to help me, if that which I am putting my trust in is taka for my good, I can put my trust in God and feel calm that God is going to grant me something that's for my bad. And because of God's love, He will not grant it to me. But I'm saying that after we went through number two. No, God will do for me what's good for me. God is able to do it. And there's no one that's able like God is able. There's nothing that's stopping Him. Number four is on page 62. Number four in Abbeinu Bachai is the number two of the last chapter. God is always available. Think about that. Number four here is number two of last chapter. God is always available to me. That's really great. You get to choose when you daven, as we spoke before. How great is that? Go try that with another human being. All right, I can't come right now. I'm coming in two hours. Maybe they're not available in two hours. God is always available. God doesn't even charge. Mamas, you can talk to him as much as you want, and God doesn't we doesn't cut you off. He listens to you. And to spend time living with that. God is always available for us. I must have ADD. Who has ADD? Hashem. Why? Because he can pay attention to all the different things going on at the same time. But he's infinite. Right, but in an infinite way. I mean ADD, you can pay attention to all kinds of things. It's okay. That's great. We're good. We're good. We're good. God is always available for me. Number five. Number five is on page 63. Number five is that God. No, number five over here is number six. That the only being that really has the power to make any change in my life is God. You know, when you live with that, your relationship towards others changes to the better so much. You have no idea. Can you say it again? Yes. Yeah. The only being that has any power over my life other than me is God. The only being. No one has ever any power over me. It's God and my choice. Right, your choice to give power to someone else. Is God making your choice? Huh? Yeah. Is God making your choice? Is it, isn't it control? No, no, no. I said, and my choice. I have freedom of choice. Right, but, but other than me being control of me, ultimately, why do you not controlling your choice? 
let's, that, that was last night's Shavuos. We were up the whole night, and we're let's let's leave it for Shavuos night. Okay. I know. I always go on the hamster wheel. That's okay. That's which is fine. But one second. Think about Yosef Atzadik. I mean, that's the greatest example. Sometimes the biblical stories are the best stories. Brothers selling a brother. The shock that he had. They sold him into slavery. They sold him into slavery. He was not angry with them. How was that humanly possible? Because Yosef Atzadik really, really internalized the belief. What happened to him was God's doing. He did not give his brothers godlike powers that they don't have, which distorts everything. No human being, no thing has power over me. Only God and my freedom of choice. I can hurt myself. I can benefit myself. God gave me that gift for me. But no, even if you're choosing, not you, someone there is choosing to hurt me, they will only succeed if God already predestined me to get hurt. And if that was my destiny, whether that person would have done it or the other person would have done it or the beam would have knocked my head, all the same from my perspective, I'm going to get a knock on my head. That's what we believe in. Until reality challenges it. But that's what we believe in. In other words, why would I place my trust in any other power when there isn't any other power? There's nothing powerful. Moshe Yes has a very powerful and very sad song of the dollar bill. Moshe Yes, when I was in yeshiva, he was like the great contemporary singer. He was a giant of a Jew. Moshe Yes, Moshe Yes. Before my time. Balchuva, no. That could be what a what a great singer. So he's singing about how a dollar bill blew into a synagogue. By the way, and then the dollar bill is having a conversation with the Sefer Torah. Who are you? Who are you? So the dollar bill says, "I'm God." Everyone worships me. The Torah says, "No, no, no." The Torah says, "No, God is God." I'm sharing the word of God. And dollar bill says, "Well, look where they placed you. Where look where they placed me? You they hide away in a room. They lock you behind the closet." As people bow down, there's a whole a whole niggin, like what's the, wow. what's what's powerful. It's a it's a sad song, but it's a true song. It's like oh my god, We're like who who do we worship? Everyone worships something or someone. The question is what? Only God. God is the only power. You can spend a week with that. I mean, really spend a week with that. Everything that happens. It's really happening from God. Now, again, that doesn't mean you shouldn't thank your fellow. The Talmud has a very cute story about one of the great Tanoim who married very wealthy. And long story short, she discovered that he was inflicting himself with a certain illness for some spiritual reason. And the remedy was that she she was a nutritionist and she knew how to prepare very expensive foods that would heal him. But he was depleting the bank account. She discovered that this is a lifestyle that he chose. He would get very sick at night. So she told him, I'm wasting my father's household or my parents' money on you when you're choosing that for me to feed you these expensive foods during the day. She left him. She had a daughter. She left him with the daughter. A few days later, she wanted to find out how's her husband doing. So she sent the daughter. So the daughter came back with a report that all of the fancy foods that you made for Abba, someone else, it's on the table. Whatever you made is on the table. 
How did that come about? So before Shinoch left him, like a day or two before, nearby on the ocean, there was a ship, and the ship was sinking. <laughs> and the people of the ship were Sfardi-like, so when they prayed to God, they, they don't just pray to God. They say, So they were also the God of this one and the God of that one, the God of this, because they also want to evoke this chos of the tzaddik. And when they mentioned his name, that's when the sea calmed down. So they said to each other, wow, God saved us because of him. What can we do for him? Mm-hmm. This happened a few days before. When she walked out, a few minutes later, they walked in. And they asked him, how can we help you? She says, listen, I got a problem. He says, every day I have to eat these foods. My wife, who was preparing for is not available for the next short while. Can you uh, supplement it? So she realized, the wife, that 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 uh, whether she'll be the provider or whether she... It, it, what's coming to him is coming to him. So she said, it might as well come through me. That's the Talmudic story. And that's a great story. At least some of it. Everyone takes another part of the story. He should have. He should have thanked his wife more. I think that's another lesson. She wouldn't have left him. Part of the part of part of the story. She came back. Part of the story was whenever she would put the food down, he would turn and say, "God, thank you." I think that's part of the story. Spoiled. Spoiled. Sitting out there in the sun. So she said, "Yeah, you're thanking God. You're not at least thanking me also. Let's go see." He was a big tzaddik. We shouldn't play around with that. It's not a contradiction when you thank your fellow, but um, just living with that. That everything that happens is happening from God. They're good. They're not good. If it's meant to happen, it's going to happen. If it's not meant to happen, it's not going to happen. And this chapter will deal later, so why should I even go to work? We're going to deal with that later in this chapter. But living with this, we're going to, living with everything is from God. It's, there's one conversation in the world, Hashem and me. And everyone else is a prop, not in a disrespectful way. From my perspective, it's a conversation between God and me. You know, the Baal Shem Tov said that people say that God doesn't talk to people anymore. He says God is talking to everyone the whole time. So no, what is God telling me? He says, everything that you see and everything that you hear is God talking to you. Pay attention. We have to have the seichel to understand what God is saying. But God is talking. God is talking through others. It doesn't mean that they don't have their own life. God is amazing. So they have their own life from their perspective. From my perspective, it's me and God. How great is that? And when you live with that, and this, or then you're going to put even more bitachin in Hashem. Number six. Number six is page 65. Number six is number seven. Number six here is number seven from last week. Number six is the knowledge that God is benevolent even to the unworthy. So even if and when a person feels unworthy, whether 